0: Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, winning has a price, and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenge people when they don't want to be challenged. and I earned that right because my teammates came after me. I didn't endure all the things that I endured. Michael
1: Jordan is down in pain. Michael Jordan is down. He's hurt. And Jordan came down hard at his injury. The just like the on. it's a really good to feel
0: to this man right here. He out. Once you join a team, you live at a certain standard that I played the game. And I wasn't going to take anything less that means i had to go in there and get in your ass a little bit and i did that you asked all my teammates one thing about michael jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't do he wasn't really a nice guy he may have been a tyrant oh, well that's you because you never wanted anything i wanted to win but i wanted them to win and be a part of that as well Play that way. Don't play that
2: way. Break. That was the clip from that's at the end of the show, right?
1: Towards uh towards the end, yeah. Yeah,
2: of uh The Last Dance, the documentary on Netflix about Michael Jordan and their I guess it really revolves around their 97-98 season, uh, but it covers his legacy of from his history from really childhood from college into the NBA through the NBA when he took a break from the NBA back to winning another three championships and then retiring. And uh, we're here with me and, and Joe, Joe Musselman, to talk about uh to talk about what the, the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan mean to him and what that show means to all of us and what we can all take away from it. So Joe, what's up? Tell us about tell us about that
1: yeah so uh, so much to say on that clip um, I watched you know every I've twilighted with this series now uh, every night and rewatched episodes and parts mainly because it it was such an influential time for me uh, that I'm emotionally anchored with that time of my life mainly for personal reasons, not professional reasons like you know some folks watching this now are deep into their professional career and they get all amped up. To, you know to watch a champion like Michael Jordan talk about uh, things like leadership and things like winning and losing and managing personalities on a team and leading personalities on a team but for me it was it's so much more than that um, I watched every single bulls game with my father every single one and those are the times in my life that I look back at and first of all how blessed am I to be able to have quality time like that with my dad and my father. Um, And, you know, the ups and the downs, luckily there weren't many downs in those six to eight years with the Bulls. They were, they will, they will always be arguably the best team, but only arguably to those who didn't watch them play in real time. Um, So there's, and it's stamped all over that team. It's stamped all over Michael Jordan that he is without a question, the greatest player that has ever walked on the court um, and it's beyond bias at this point because I've looked at it you can look at things like numbers but we all know that the CEO that brings in more revenue does not make him the better CEO it's it's as plain as day for me so there may be people that outscored him in seasons and there may be people that had more triple doubles than he did in any given season but we all know that numbers don't quantify leadership and numbers don't always quantify greatness. Um, So you can have two CEOs that bring in the same revenue every year and one is known to be the greatest most liked CEO and the other one is hated but yet the numbers are the same. Uh, So there's more that goes into leadership than numbers Uh, and that's what Michael Jordan brought to that team. So, So to tee up that clip out of the 10 episodes I would say that ironically that Two minute uh, and twenty three second clip uh, that I randomly said, you know what? There's something about this clip, and I held it up to my laptop and I recorded it. And I looked. I was like, you know, they had a a threepeat. So there's the two, and then twenty three is obviously Michael Jordan's number. So I thought that was ironic. Um, but I've broken down that two minute and twenty three second clip to the word, to the letter, and even researched nonverbal cues and signs and Uh, pulled up interrogation reports about what certain hand gestures mean or don't mean and what face I mean, I really got into it, man, because I don't have the skill set to look at that as an interpreter of nonverbal language like a CIA investigator, and can just read what's going on. So I had to do a lot of research on what certain gestures meant. And uh, there's also a a point in this clip where he changes tense, uh, meaning the whole clip he speaks in the past tense. And then in the very last part, He switches uh, and speaks in a present tense, which, what does that mean? Why did he do that totally subconsciously? Uh, So anyways, there's a lot to go through here. Uh, As you can see, I have goosebumps talking about it. I I had this conversation a few nights ago with a a very close friend and and an exceptional leader uh, from the SEAL teams, and we had a great conversation about what he took away from that. Uh, So I'd love to have this conversation with you.
2: Yeah, same here. Uh, so just for starters, um, so everyone's, so everyone's on the same page. Uh, this show ran from April, mid April to mid May, uh, of this year, 2020. So, you know, you've probably seen it cause you didn't have anything else to do. And, uh, and we're also, so I remember watching the bulls as a kid on TV on a little like 13 inch TV and, you can't even tell whose number is who because it's so low resolution is for <laughs> HDTV and everything. And just watching Jordan play, you know, I was a little kid. I was, when they won their last championship, I would have been 12. Uh, so it's just, it, it was a special thing to get to watch. I remember when he went to go play baseball. I remember when space jam came out. I remember, uh, when his father was murdered and, uh, yeah. and I remember the, the saga of, of Michael Jordan, but I, you know, now that I'm older and I watch this, uh, Documentary back and you hear him talk about it and you and you watch the games. One thing that you know you would you would believe that your memory you know how your memory lies to you and you remember things bigger than they are. Like, do you remember when you first moved to a new city? How big that city seems and how lost you are in it. And then after a while, it gets smaller and smaller. Uh, That's right. But you know, watching Jordan, that's not how I felt. Like it was it, it my memory. It was the opposite. I remember it less. Like the way <laughs> like that man can fly, like he can, yeah. he can fly through the air. He, he hovers in the sky. He dominates mm-hmm. in ways that like you would imagine, you would, you would think your imagination was playing tricks on you. Your memory was playing tricks on you, but it really was insane. And, uh, That's right. and, and you know, I'm getting goose. Every episode had me choked up goosebumps wanting to go do something. Like I wanted to go, right. to go like be active in something again, uh, like, like competition, you know? Uh, which I haven't done in a long time. Uh, just watching that, you know, it just is so invigorating. Um,
1: Well, the greats, the greats do that. Right. So let's think about this for a second. As a culture, the world every four years becomes enamored with sport, right? The Olympics, you watch the Olympics and the greats make it look doable. So, you know, you think. I mean, for Christ's sake, uh, curling. You know, you're like it can't be that hard. It's it's that hard. Like, I've tried. It's it's that hard. I looked like such a fool. And you think <laughs> those people like frantically, you know, sweeping ice. Oh, there's no athleticism to that or strategy. It's like yes, no. There there really is. Um, and it was that way with the greats. The greats do that. You want to paint like Picasso. You want to fly like Michael. You want to be like Mike. Like the 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 greats instill this. They make it look so easy and fascinating, but what we don't see, like we see with Michael, you know, being raised in a in a very competitive household with a you don't hear much about, uh, you know, his uh, his sister uh, Raz. You don't hear much about his brother who was in the army for thirty plus years. Um, you don't hear about the, his mother and father who were um, driven by morals and values as parents. In in at that time which was still a very kind of racially charged north carolina um but they led with values and hard work and don't let anyone tell you you can't do things so there was so much of the parent story that resonated with me as a child because they sounded like when michael talked about his parents they sounded like he sounded like he was talking about my parents and as a child to to say you know michael's talking about his parents his parents and his sister my sister was a huge driving force in my life and my competitive spirit like she was four years ahead of me in everything so she had a real upper you know upper hand in in basketball even growing up like trying to beat my sister in basketball was a challenge for the first six to eight years of my life until i was like eight to nine years old uh could i actually beat my sister in basketball it took a long time man uh, so I, I saw the uh, kind of the associative, uh, the like how he would always talk about his parents and his family being such a driving force. I was like, my family's like that. So I, I could be like Mike too, right? Like it, it didn't have to be about basketball. It just had to be about life. Uh, so he was influential in planting a lot of seeds uh, early in, in my childhood that made me understand competition differently, that made me understand myself differently.
2: That's what this, so that's what we're really here to talk about. I think that's what this show is really about, you know, whether, I guess it's how you look at it. I guess it's perspective. But when I watch something like this, I, I I always tend to try to figure out how I can associate it with my life or with, uh, the bigger meaning behind things, not just what happened, but what the meaning behind what happened is. And for me, it all starts with, uh, something that happened early on in the show where Michael Jordan talks about his first season with the bulls and they're like the, the traveling cocaine circus or whatever. And they're mm-hmm. they're out partying, and he's at a hotel, and he goes up to as a rookie, and he goes up to the room and opens the door, and they're in there with you know drugs and drinking and women, and uh, and he shuts the door and leaves and goes downstairs and talks about how he was kind of a loner from that point yeah. forward. But mm-hmm. it's that's a to me that's a pivotal moment to make that decision when when your that your your peers who are senior to you are doing something. And that you don't agree with because you're there to play the game to be the best you know you he's already so single focused yeah. single-minded focused on being the best player in basketball uh that he won't he that he turns away from that from his team who he knows is doing the wrong thing in the sense that it's not going to get him any closer to his goals uh mm-hmm. and leaves and decides to be an outcast in in that sense uh yep. and, and yep. set the, and set the standard like no that's not what we're doing that's not what i'm doing i'm here to play basketball
1: you know, it's funny you that resonated with you because that totally resonated with me. and here's why because I, I I most likely no, I can say with absolute certainty I would not have been able to do that at his age. Not a chance to, to be dis to turn down, to be disciplined in moments of distraction um, is a really hard thing to do. you know, if you want to get really deep about this, there was a study uh, that was done about they broke down percentages of population of uh, 19 uh, the 1930s population as the rise of Hitler was happening and the onboarding. And um, I mean, he, he didn't just, he didn't just rise to power on accident. He was able to convince tens of millions of people that this was a great idea. And so lots of people now it's easy for us to say, Oh, I would have never have done that. Well, Statistically, yes, you would have. You absolutely would have. You would have supported a movement like that, especially in the time and in the culture, and you know, coming from a place of Europe in that moment, in history, you statistically, you would have done that. I would not have been able to walk out of, walk out of that room, close the door, went back to my room and just said to myself, "Well, it looks like I'm going to be kind of doing my own thing. I would not have had the courage to do that. That type of discipline over distraction is why the greats are so inspiring. And and it led us a glimpse, it gave us a glimpse as to how he lived his entire career. Some of those behind the scenes that we saw, that's why I was so obsessed with the last dance for like a year. Now I've been waiting for this thing to come out. Um, it's like a window into a time in my life that I had never seen pulled together in such a kind of fantastical way. Uh, into the background of that team that impacted my life in such a big way. But I would not, that's why it resonated with me is I wouldn't have had that type of courage at that moment in my life that he did.
2: It reminds, for me, it reminded me of, uh, so my first deployment to Afghanistan was in 2009 and I was doing an individual augmentee billet. So I was working at the detainee facility in, in uh, Bagram, Afghanistan. And that was, that was ranked the number one highest stressful job in the Navy. For the years that the Navy was doing it, above you know, SOCOM, whatever, any any special, NSW, uh, it was ranked as more stressful because of what we were doing on a, on a daily basis and the training prior to it to prepare us for what we were going to do over there uh, was unsatisfactory from a, a mental, uh, mm-hmm. mental mm-hmm. Uh, kind of uh like the mental the train the tra- sorry the training we had to deal with it mentally was unsatisfactory. Compared to the train we had to just do the monotonous day-to-day operations. Uh, there was no, no, no coping, no dealing with, uh, the weird stuff that you would get, that you wouldn't get anywhere else where people like throw poop in your face or you see people like, uh, you have to deal with like weird, seeing weird stuff. Uh, and I won't get into any more than that to not violate any of my NDAs. So, uh, so we're over there and early on in that deployment, um, which I volunteered for, I wanted to be there, uh, it would, it was, we had these, our barracks over there on Bagram and there was pallets of, you know, O'Doul's and, you know, near beer uh, and okay. people would hang out every night. And for some reason, you know, they would go drink O'Duls and, and party it up in the gazebo that we had outside of the barracks in our little like uh, quadrant area. Cause mm. Bagram's a huge base. It's like a city. And, um, and I would see that like, kind of like what they're doing up late, hanging out with each other, um, you know, doing whatever. And I'd be like, I'm just going to go to sleep. And I never really got into that. And I was like, I would wake up, you know, 3.30 in the morning. I would go to the gym. 5 a.m. I would go to work. And, and I never kind of socialized. I, I was either working, working out, or I was uh, in in my rack. And mm-hmm. you know what? That made me so much better at my job. And it made me happier psychologically. Less stress. Mm-hmm. Like when, if you're there to do a job and, you, and, and then I never turned back from that. Like any other thing that I did, I was like, I'm just here to do this job. I don't, that's right. it. I'm here. I'm here. I'm focused, single minded focus. Uh, and that's it. And so it improved my performance, improved my mental well being, it improved my leadership. Uh, you know, every, everything was my interactions with my uh, peers, everything was better because I just, I only cared about, I was only there for one thing and everyone knew it you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's the standard and that's the standard that was set. So if anybody had to look to somebody and what they're doing, just do what I'm doing. It's too easy. Just go to sleep, you know, wake up, do your job. We're here, we're here, we're here to do a job. You know, this isn't, this isn't playtime. We're here to do a job. So that's right. uh, I thought that, I thought that that was, that was a big, that was a big moment. It was a defining moment for, I believe for, for Jordan and for that team and his place on the team was kind of starting to develop right there, right in the beginning of his first season.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And those are the, also the, the, the parts of of people's career that never get shown, like those small moments, right, which is any insight that I could have into the quiet moments of that man's life I wanted to have, which is, again, why I was so excited about this documentary. And I, You know, I put myself back at 21, 22 years old, which was when he was going to be faced with that decision, young rookie you know, walking in uh, to a hotel room to see, you know, basically all the vices that uh, make men weaker. And I, like I said, I wouldn't, I don't know, I I don't think I would have had the courage to walk away from that. Um, I've always had to learn lessons in that point in my life, that stage, that era, that season, I learned lessons the hard way. And um, it's something I openly talk about often and, and revisit often, but it was those hard lessons that definitely rightened my path, uh, you know, into the next season of my life, which was the foundation work that I did. And that was, uh, the Navy and service and all of those things, you know, kind of righted my path. Uh, but I was so interested how that opened up and you know, this from going through the foundation, uh, from the folks for the folks listening. Um, I created something called the honor foundation in 2013 And it's our nation's first career transition Institute for uh, Navy SEALs and the U S special operations community. We were blessed enough to have Max come through as a fellow and came through our program. Um, And he knows how much I love to ask deep, meaningful, tough questions. And this, you know, Michael in this part of the interview, he was asked a tough question. And for me, the most telling part of a tough question. And I've learned to wait in the awkwardness, in the silence. Before, I would try to fill that void with maybe some justifying remarks. Uh, You ask a tough question, there's a pause, you start to feel awkward, and we naturally wanna fill that silence with something to make it less awkward. So fill in the blank of whatever it might be. But the person who asked him this question was smart enough to allow the pause to happen and then let Michael take us where he went, where he wanted to go with that. And that's also a big part of even running a podcast. It's like, I want to ask questions and then I'm going to sit and I want to be silent and and see where they take it. Uh, Anything I do will take them off of their path. Anything I say or a movement, it's like, how still can you be to get the true remark from that person? And the interviewer asked, Michael, has your success come at the expense of being perceived as a nice guy? And, you know, he verbal filled a bit and was like, yeah, you know, um, winning has a price. And he went right to it, right? His gut took him right to four things. He said winning has a price, leadership has a price. Those two comments alone, he starts to kind of justify for folks who may be watching this because he gets who the audience is right in this two minute and 23 second clip it's like he goes through this internal journey of his life of leadership and winning at all costs and competition and just he was a ferocious lion of competitiveness and this whole answer is kind of a a, a, a no shit true moment where he starts to go through, you know, the justification really on why he was the way he was. And then he followed up with two things after that that struck me. He goes, I pulled people along that didn't want to be pulled and I challenged people that didn't want to be challenged. Um. His segue then talks about, I earned that right. So let's just talk about those four things real quick. I think this will be fun. Yeah. Winning has a price. Leadership has a price. Both true statements. And in my last conversation that I had about this, um, you know, he brought up a great point. He said that, yes, he agreed. No truer statements than winning has a price and leadership has a price. And then he brought up a word that I thought was very interesting. But it's, it's how you implement your leadership that will determine the price paid. And I thought that was fairly profound, right? So he wasn't necessarily complaining about the price that he had to pay. He wasn't complaining or even arguing the fact that leadership of course has a price. The amount of discipline that he had has a price. Um, Pulling people along that didn't wanna be pulled, challenging people that didn't wanna be challenged all of that he's not like having a problem with that what he's really thinking about is could i have implemented that differently and i think we all any of us who have ever been in any leadership position we know that there was a price i have i have more disappointments in my own leadership than i've ever had about any of what anyone would call a success no question it's like how did i how did i not see it then like how did i implement it that way or with such a a harsh fist, uh, or, um, just not with, you know, more empathy or whatever it might be. But anyways, that's, I thought that was really true. The implementation of all that is what he's really thinking about there. Um, and anyway, so I'd love to know your thoughts on that.
2: Well, for one, I think what I really like about what you said is how, when you said you think about your leadership, uh, what I was going to say, but you, you, it was the first thing you said is it's, uh, it's how you have to live with it first, right? So you yeah. have, you're the one yes. who has to live with the price of your decisions and that, you know, all, and that, not just leadership, everything in life. It's not, it's not like you said, you know, and I did those things and people didn't like me. It's, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how do you accept what, how you did it? You know, like you have to reconcile, like, man, I can't believe that I did that. I was back then, like, I wish I knew then what I knew now, or I wish I could go back and do that differently. It's funny because that's what really, that's what we really think about, right? That's like, it's, it's our, it's our internal kind of conflict with, uh, mm-hmm. with, with our, our decision-making, uh, which I, I look at as I've always been someone who since childhood, I've looked at things as like. I call it absolute acceptance. Like, if something mm-hmm. happens, you have to accept it immediately and completely, and that's the only way you're going to move forward. And sometimes you have to accept that you did something bad, and uh, and if you you know wallow in guilt, uh, yeah. then you'll for one you'll never make up for it. You'll never do anything right as a result of it, uh, and and then you uh, and then and then you'll never progress and get to a place where you can do make a better choice next time. You know, so that's right. So, you know, I, I've had, I had to accept a lot of, a lot of bad things in my life, like bad family, uh, when I was a kid, bad childhood, you know, bad things that happen in your life, bad things that happen in the military, uh, mistakes that you make, but you have to go, okay, well, that happened. Uh, I can't change it. Right. So now I just have to go along with it. Um, now I might be getting a little off on the tangent there, but, uh, as far
1: as it's true, it's mistakes, mistakes happen. Right. I. This is something I have come to, and the author, for the folks listening, if if you want to read a great book about tactical application uh, and a framework around tactical application, you should read Ray Dalio's book called Principles. And you don't become the wealthiest hedge fund and the most successful by numbers hedge fund in the world without being... Disciplined over distraction, without having a rigorous set of principles that you operate by, and and you're aligned as an organization. Like the greats are all aligned. There's no compromising their alignment. Um, and you know, there's one thing I've learned about myself too. Looking back at situations where I may have made mistakes, but mistakes are always going to happen. It's a fact of life. Um, if they happen again, now it's a pattern. So we do have the opportunity to look back and say, that's the refreshing thing about all this is when I look back and I do feel that I made mistakes uh, and I made poor you know, decisions uh, regarding my own leadership, I would say that it's only a mistake. It, it's It becomes a pattern if you don't fix it. So we have a deep sigh of relief in that when we look back, we absolutely have the opportunity to change that. Now, it's tough when you're, you know, approaching 60 and, and you're a pro athlete and you look back and they're, they're actually, it's, it's tough to, to think that you, you can't have that ability in the same capacity to not make those same mistakes again, where, you know, mistakes in business, you will keep going and keep leading and keep rising and have, you know, building up scar tissue. And um, I look at Michael as like a, almost like a philosopher at this point of, of philosopher of play. Like he He's spending more time thinking about his time uh, than, than he probably ever did while he was playing because he was very present in the moment. And now he's reached the point, the pinnacle, all that. And he's just sitting and he's thinking about all of these different things, which is why we saw the emotion come out. And so there's another thing too, going on to the, um, this is great from the, from even a military perspective, uh, you know, inside the, the SEAL community, and in the Navy community, and in most communities, just because you make it through training doesn't mean you're done. Like you, you now are a new person, you're a new guy, you're a new man or woman in a team and you have to earn it all over again, right? And he says something here that I thought was interesting. When he talked about pulling people that didn't wanna be pulled and challenging people that didn't wanna be challenged, he immediately goes into, I earned that right. right? Like I earned that right. Uh, My teammates came after me. They didn't endure what I endured. And they flashed to injury, pressure situations, the physicality that other teams beat the hell out of Michael because he was Michael. Um, They flashed all that that montage and then uh, it goes back to him. And I think that there's something to that that's uh, amidst, it's a great lesson for me and for all the leaders that are listening to this podcast um you have in fact earned the right to be a leader although you know you wouldn't be in that position um and it but it's but but there's like a yes and to that where yes you may have earned the right because of actions you've taken um ideas that you've had effort and work that you've put in it's hard very hard to then put yourself in another person's shoes, practice fierce empathy in the way that they are coming into a world that you have created, and truly understand that it's not that they don't care that you've earned the right. That's not the right way to think about it. But they're trying to earn their own rights in the same way you did. They want to earn ownership. They want to earn respect. They they want to know that if they work hard, that they too can be a leader in the organization. And there's an attitude that exists. And I'm not saying Michael had this. I'm just saying this is what he said. Where I earned that right, it's like, yes, you most certainly did. I'm wondering how he made other people feel in regards to that type of internal attitude. Does that make sense? I don't...
2: It, it does. And so it, it makes total sense. And here's what I was going to say about it. Uh, it. And I was actually going to, I was, I want to get to the, exactly the same thing that you just got to, which is uh, very common in, in leadership. Um, I'm guilty. I think everyone has been guilty at some point. If you haven't, that'd be incredible. Uh, and it's also the, the biggest threat uh, that we all face, which is kind of the sense that, and this is, I'm going to quote from uh, the podcast I did a couple of days ago, which is, Uh, and, and, and this, and this is, goes back, you know, throughout history, this is one of the well-known, uh, philosophies of, of war and civilization, which is, um, the greatest threats don't come from without, they come from within. And the, a civilization, and I was just watching Avengers last night and it even comes up in Avengers, uh, in, in, uh, or Captain America Civil War where, um, the bad guys like, I knew I could never, uh, kill the Avengers, but if I made them kill themselves, uh, mm-hmm. then I win and and what I'm getting at is uh, is ego right and sure. and pride is the biggest threat that we that you probably face when you're when you're great you know when you're great truly great the biggest threat is yourself uh, because mm-hmm. you've you Michael Jordan in this case so Michael Jordan uh, the way he acted the way he played the game the way he believes it's like you know that old saying too you uh, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right, you know? Right. And yeah. you, you see that all the time. Michael Jordan always knew he could. He's like, oh, well, they shit off me? Well, then I had to whoop their ass, you know? And then he did, right. and, and he yeah. knew it. But he also, uh, because of the way he was, invited challenge in every aspect of his life. Uh, and sometimes, in, and with the gambling thing, maybe in some ways uh, where he couldn't always, you know, live up to the challenge he set. Luckily, in basketball, that never happened. But you could see it was happening all around him, where other players would come and they would want to hurt him. Where other teams would come, and they would want to hurt him. Where his other teammates would, in some cases, resent his uh, attention um, or position compared to them. Like Scottie Pippen, uh, I think famously was known as like a great basketball player who un- who lived in the shadow of Jordan for his whole career. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, the and this is what you were getting to, right? Which is how did he? How did he uh, pull others up to where he is instead of climbing over others to get to where he is? Um, and, and, you know, I, I think at the end of the show, you start to see through the interviews, uh, people understanding that they, their whole lives kind of are what they are because of their time with Michael Jordan, even his opponents, right? Even his opponents sure. are defined by their games against Michael Jordan where they lost uh, and, right. and they're with us and they're almost with a smile on their face. Like, you know, cause they saw how great someone could be, how unstoppable and unmovable of a force someone could be. And I That's think, right. and, and I think just experiencing that for yourself can be a life-changing event uh, that you can then apply uh, and, and try to see how you can be like that thing that beat you in the rest of right. your life too.
1: Yeah. And I, and I don't think he, I, I don't, I don't get this sense. I, I don't think he stepped on his teammates. I think he stepped into his teammates in a very aggressive way. And when I think about, you know, the next line is perfect. He, he says that once you join our team, you lived and played at a certain standard that I played the game and I, I wouldn't stand for anything less. So let's just take that at face value that imagine being a player and you're right about opponents. Like no one would know who, you know, Greg Elo was (laughs) if, if you didn't hear that Jordan over Elo, it's good. (laughs) Like if you didn't hear that one clip for three decades, you wouldn't know who Elo was, man. You just know that poor Elo, right? Like (laughs) for the rest of his career, he's defined by that. Um, But there's uh, a right in that uh, comment that he makes that one, imagine being a player that comes onto that team and you're coming onto Michael Jordan's team. Uh, that's, you know, rising, uh, tides raise all ships. Like you knew that you were coming onto that team and you were about to get just, if you thought you could play hard, well, you're going to get, you're going to play 20% harder. You're going to get 20% better, a little bit better every single day. And, uh, I think that's also a huge part of leadership, um, of being an example. So that's something else too. It's when you're Michael Jordan, how do you even coach a personality? How do you lead a personality like Michael Jordan? Um, Somehow Phil Jackson, who's clearly the greatest coach, not even arguably in NBA history, um, has won more championships than any coach uh, ever, uh, single coach ever in his career I think that he figured it out that you, you the certain way you have to lead these types of personalities uh, but Michael you know he's like I, I keep calling him a lion because every time you see him in play or off play um, he's one of those characters where even standing there expressionless like a lion you're, 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 you're fearful of it because you know what's possible Right. If a lion is just sitting there with a blank stare, it's, it's, you're just taken aback, like, cause you know what's, what's possible with yeah. a lion.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think if you were, yeah. So I think using the lion as an example, uh, you might come face to face with a lion and the lion doesn't care about you because the lion has already won just by being the lion. And you know, you, and you know, you've already lost, right? Right. Immediately.
1: Like there's not even a, and so like, if I were to like, you know, challenge the lion, then I'm going to lose badly. Right. So when people would step into the sphere of challenging Michael, they would lose badly. Um, uh, Like a lion loss, they would lose bad, they lose everything. Like. That whole scene of poor Tony <laughs> Kukoc, like when Tony, Tony thought he was something special, <laughs> like that poor SOB, man. Um, he, he left and went back to his league and was like, I am not ready for the NBA. I will tell you that. Um, but, you know, there's a part in that of leading by example of, of kind of being that, uh, you know, that lion. And, and also, like he says that you ask my teammates, one thing that they'll always say is that, you know, one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked anyone to do something that he didn't effing do himself. Right. Um, That's a big part of leadership too. Uh, And again, I'm not, I, I I admire him for almost everything that he accomplished. And so for me, I'm, I'm more or less, you know, Michael, if you're listening to the scuttlebutt right now um, I want you to know that there's, I I would be, you, you would be challenged to find a bigger fan, in all that you did for a city and for a world that didn't even know basketball, that knew it once Michael Jordan played the game. And uh, that's what happens when you're great. And there's a tremendous amount of responsibility that comes along with that. And not to mention, there was a part in that episode, or just one of the episodes too, where Dennis Rodman was talking about, like, we don't get paid these big salaries to play basketball, to play the game. We get paid these big salaries to deal with all this other BS, right, that we have to put up with, we're sacrificing our lives, our names, like we can never just go places like that's why they have to pay us what they pay us. I thought there was something really true to that. Um, That you lose it. It's like you lose a cell, you lose an identity because you gain one that's incredibly public. Like you never can be private. Michael Jordan can never be a private citizen from the moment he put on basketball shorts. And he received everything that he wished for. That's the crazy part is like, he, you know, oh, woe is him, but it's all relevant. You know, throughout this whole thing, I'm not sure if Michael Jordan would consider himself happy right now. I don't know. I don't know. And that's weird to think about that you you can become the greatest of all time. And I'm not sure why, when I, when I saw him throughout the series, there was, you know, it's, there's a sadness in his face. I don't know where it comes from. I could be totally wrong. He'd be the happiest person in the world. I don't feel that way. I don't hear it in his voice. I don't see it in his eyes because it's like, what's the difference when you see, um, you know, a, you know, a, like, a, a an animal that's in the wild versus an animal that's in a cage. Like it's that, that to me is what I pulled away from his, this, this whole series is, um, if we are lucky enough and it's beyond luck, it's like, you know, Michael Phelps, he was genetically designed by God, higher figure who, you know, whoever the listeners believe is up there making this happen for all of us, uh, Creatures down here on this floating ball of mud in space uh he, he he literally could he could produce oxygen faster his red blood cells could hold more o2 than normal human beings like his feet are like a size 16 the curvature <laughs> of his legs and the way that his knees naturally through tendon and sinew could bend to the water like a freaking dolphin uh he was designed quite literally, beautifully designed to be the greatest Olympian medal recipient of all time. He was designed that way. And then next thing you know, he's he's giving ads talking about how depressed he was. We see this all over the place, man. That when you f- the, the ones who figure out who are lucky enough to, to fall into what they were designed to do. It's so rare that you see them, kind of ride off into the sunset, fulfilled and happy um, with where they're at. It's a real challenge for them because they're no longer challenged, uh, and that's a that's a problem.
2: Yeah. So actually, you know, I, I have I have some thoughts on that, and uh, and in bodybuilding, there's a, a, a saying that you can't beat genetics. Uh, even Arnold Schwarzenegger was known as having weak calves. Uh, you know, he just genetically had a hard time building his calves. It was like his flaw, you know, his Achilles heel, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And, uh, and the, the deadly combination is when genetics meets hard work, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when you've got the genetics and the natural aptitude for something, then you happen to find that thing, then you put in the hard work that's unstoppable. Um, and I, 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 and I, and I do, and I do really believe that's true now talking about Michael Jordan. Jordan. At the end of the show, he says, uh, would you want to, Would you have wanted to go for seven? He says, yeah, of course I wanted to go for seven. And he says, well, is it is it maddening or is it uh, uh, beautiful to like whatever they said? I, I know one, I don't know what they he said, something or was it maddening to stop after six? And he says, it's maddening. And yeah. when I say uh, ego, <laughs> when I talk about ego and pride, right, this this is kind of what I'm talking about where, you know, he won't be able to rest because he wanted to win but when you want to win that that much that bad and you can't walk away, that's for you. That's because you can't resolve uh, mm-hmm. your 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 self, your 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 idea of self. You know, uh, where you can't kind of define yourself any other way. Where you yeah. believe that you you do believe, and rightfully so, that you're so great that you, sh- you could have been the greatest probably, you know, to this sure, um, to this day, probably put him on the court, you know, he, that's just the will that's, that's the will to win that made him. Un- that's unfortunately it's what made makes greats so great. And it's also their ultimate down, you know, downfall many times right. yeah. is it's, 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 yeah. a, it's a pride and ego thing. Uh, cause if you want to keep, if you want to win seven, if you want to win eight, who's that for, you know, is it, mm-hmm. is it for your team or is it for you? every time that you win a thousand other people lose, you know, on your road to victory. Um, uh,
1: I don't think we would have seen the same. If Michael would have came back, maybe, maybe if Phil came back, let's put it this way. If the team came back as is, we would have seen another championship team. There's not a doubt in my mind. If you break up that team in any significant way, especially taking like, the, the heart of the team out of it. Meaning I think, I think uh, Michael, they say Michael might've been the heart of the team, but I, I feel like Phil Jackson was a big part of that heart. And, and I think Michael was just a, was still a very vital organ, uh, but it, Phil was going to get traded. I think we would have seen an uglier side to the story with Michael if he were given a different team that may not have performed uh, similar at a similar level. It takes a long time to get to a level, um, I think, meaning not a level of championship play, but I think there are two things at play here with the Bulls where you, not only did you have to play at a championship level, but you had to play at a Michael Jordan level. And I think if other people and personalities would have came into that team that disrupted or challenged that um, – that kind of dominance hierarchy inside of that team, uh, I think that would have been a problem, and and Michael would have clashed. Um, there, there there wasn't enough room, <clears throat> by name or pedigree, for anyone else of equal stature. Like no other All Star could have been on that team, other than Michael Jordan. And I'm not I don't I know Scotty was an All Star. I I don't mean that in the sense of an NBA All Star. Another All Star personality similar to Michael. Um, I don't know if it would have worked, which is why we see all these champions, championship recruiting going on to get all these personalities on the team, and they don't win championships. Yeah, um, there needs to be a diverse, there needs to be diversity of leadership and personality on teams in order to make them a championship team. That's what made the Bulls so remarkable. Is that if if I could compare it to a founding team of a company of a startup, it's like Michael was kind of the founder of that play. Right. And, and Phil Jackson was a really experienced executive chairman who knew exactly how to manage the board of personalities and kept people away from the, the founding team. And Michael was a great founder and he had role players, you know, surrounding him where he w- where he needed teammates to be strong, where he couldn't be strong all the time. Um, <clears throat> he didn't care that Dennis Rodman went to Vegas. He went and got him and brought him back and said, just give it give it your all. And he crushed it. Um Michael couldn't get 30 rebounds a game but Dennis could Michael needed Dennis to get 30 rebounds a game he needed Scotty to get 20 assists a game he needed Steve Kerr to make the three-pointers because that was his role he needed Steve to make the shots that mattered in kind of when Michael actually gave him the ball um the rest of it was Steve being a great point guard to set up plays to tee up Michael Jordan and their famous offense so um he, Michael did want, he said it in that in, in that clip, he said, I wanted them to win. I wanted to win, of course, but I wanted them to win too. Uh, and that goes to your point. Like <clears throat> when it becomes more about Michael wanting to win and not wanting other people on that journey to also be champions, uh, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons.
2: I agree. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Like when we were talking about, I don't think Michael stepped on people to get to the top as, as much as he stepped with or carried Uh, -hmm. or, you know, and in times people carried him for sure, certainly. Um, but I do think, uh, what you're talking about, about, you know, what if it kept going and you might've seen a darker side now it's spec it's speculation. Um, but I, I certainly think that it could have been very different. Uh, and you, and you could see some self-destructive behavior when winners start to lose. Uh, it can be a real, it can be a real, you know, mind. Uh, That's
1: a great way to put that max. Like we, when winners start to lose.
2: Have you, have you ever seen somebody who's a, a a real alpha winner type start to lose and it can go, it can get really bad. Uh, you can start to see some really, really uh, crazy behavior, some mentality mm-hmm. shift uh, into a, into, into, you know, a dark place, you know, where I've seen people willing to do anything to win. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if I've seen people lose to friends who then they get mad at, you know, and storm off. Uh, cause they just don't believe that they should lose. And what's that mean? That means that your friend should lose, you know, like I, I'm, I'm right. just saying, this is just something I've seen, you know, many times in, in my, my own life. Uh, so for me, I think, uh, I repeat this to myself often. It's just something I say to myself is, uh, you can't keep it, which is, uh, so I, I apply, yeah. you can apply it to anything, a- anything, your, your clothes, yeah. your, your shirt, right? You can't sure. keep it. Uh, one day you're going to leave this planet and you can't keep anything. You can't keep your house. You can't keep your car. You can't keep your money. You can't keep your friends. You can't keep anything, anything that you love. There's only one way to keep it. And it's to kind of keep it going through the world. You know, you kind of got to give it away anything that you want. The only way to keep something is to give it away and keep it going in the world or else it just dies with you. Uh, And I think that being a champion is like that where you can't keep it. You can't be the best forever, well, what you can do is you can make the next best person you can mm-hmm. enable the next best person you can get out of the way for the next best person train them so one thing that J- jordan does in the show i think there's one clip uh i wish i had the exact quote for the clip is uh he's playing against somebody i think it's the guy who said oh you're jordan huh you're you're the you're, you're the man that everyone yeah, says yeah. you are and he goes well you know i'm i'm going up on a court and I see I can go left, I can go right, I can fade. And he's kind of saying all these things he knows he can do because he just sees things that other people don't see, mm-hmm. right? He just, he sees it. He sees the future because he's done it. He understands the game so well. He understands his specialty so well that anything, that any scenario that could happen, he's already played it in his mind. He knows exactly how it's going to happen because he's done all these mental rehearsals. He's played all these games. Maybe you don't see, if you're listening, maybe you don't see things like that, I would say find the person who sees things differently than you mm-hmm. and find and latch onto that person and learn what you can from them. Because there's always that one person who just can kind of see, almost like predict the future of what's going to happen. And are usually right because they just have an understanding of the psyche of the game or whatever it is, yeah. uh, yep. the job. And they just know how people think and how they act. And uh, I think everyone has something that they're like that with. If, and if you, whatever you're doing, if you're not the person who has it, find the person who has it and kind of see what you can learn mm-hmm. from them. Yep. It was obvious Michael yeah. had that,
1: and and you you brought up a great kind of philosophical point. And one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite sayings or phrases that's taken away from Stoicism is uh, "memento mori." Have you ever heard of "memento mori"? No. So "memento mori," translated like directly, <clears throat> uh, translated directly into English, is um, that remember you you, you must die. Right. So it's and it's not it's not designed as a phrase, um, you know, pardon me, it's not designed as a phrase to be morbid or promote fear, but it's supposed to kind of inspire, motivate and clarify something that, you know, we see all the time that everything comes to an end. Everything comes to an end. And there's something calming in that. Right. And, And a compliment that was paid to Michael throughout that show. And I forget who paid him. I think it was a journalist, but he said, Michael was always in the moment. <clears throat> yeah. That part struck me. He said, he was always present. Like wherever he was, he was always there, which you can't say about a 99.9% of people walking around is Max and Joe right now are sitting here having a, a great conversation about things that matter. Um, and diving deep into into questions that we ask ourselves and that we ask of others. Um, And when to think of a professional athlete, uh, stellar athlete like Michael, who was always in the moment when he could be so many other places, that's hard to practice. That's hard to do. Um, And so maybe that's also the downfall is that when people begin to truly live in the moment, you begin to realize how fleeting these moments are. And it could be overwhelming. Um, even more overwhelming than not being in the present. And all of a sudden it's 30 years have gone by and uh, you've been focusing on the wrong things. And now you're, you're rushing to give back and contribute to a world that doesn't want your contributions any longer. I mean, I saw it in philanthropy all the time. Um, You know, there's a reason why uh, I just, I would imagine a world like thinking of, Michael and and how he ended this, I, I, it made me sad to think that at the end of that segment to get into the nonverbal a little bit, like he, you know, he sat back and he put his palms up like this and he kept saying, you know, look, and anytime anybody says or opens a conversation off with look, it's, it's, you've, you've had it, you've reached a certain point. Um, Like, never do you answer the phone, you know, with your mother and be like, look, I love you, mom, okay? I love you. Like, it it doesn't, it just doesn't go like that. Uh, But he's like, look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing this because it is who I am. It's how I played the game. That was my mentality. And the whole time he has his hands up, which like, none of us need to be experts in nonverbal that if you were walking into someone and they were like, doing this it means stop and then quite literally you do more research on it it means i've had enough stop i'm getting overwhelmed uh i can't talk about this anymore and you know then his tense shift happened where he goes if you don't want to play that way then don't play that way and then he goes break which I thought was interesting because the whole time he talked about how he played, I played, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing this because of who I am. It's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, then don't play that way. And he was kind of talking to everyone at that point right now, currently kind of saying like, if you're going to hate on me, if you're going to, if you don't play that way, then don't play that way. That's on you that's how I played the game. So don't hate on me, you know, break, I'm done. Like I don't need to justify myself anymore. Like good Lord. Uh, you know, I, I need a break. And to me, that was to see him get emotional like that. It it could be for so many different reasons. I'm not trying to pretend that I understand the reasons for him getting emotional, but I think we all have our guesses. Uh, and we all have things that we, I'm sure we put our hands up and say, okay, like I can't talk about this anymore. Uh, it's too much. It's, and I've done enough. Um, but that was really moving for me to to see him get emotional in that way, even after this long arc, this hero's arc. It's not just a, it's not just a journey. It's a hero's journey. It's not just an arc. It's the hero's arc that he went through. Yeah, yeah. Um, that we're looking back on uh, right now. So, yeah, powerful for me.
2: It is well, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, with the loss of his father, mm-hmm. leaving, coming back going on a, you know, a side quest (laughs) there with baseball. Uh, it really, it it really is. It really is. Uh, and the thing I wonder is it's difficult for, uh, when you're looked at by your teammates as what, what you feel is like the wrong perception, Hmm. It, it can be really frustrating. Like how can you not get what I was doing? You know, may, maybe that's what it was. Right. Like talking about old teammates who kind of say, well, well, he was an asshole or whatever. Like, how do you, how at this point after all this time, do you not get yeah. what I was doing for you? You know, like I'm, I, mm. I can't deal with, I can't take it anymore. You know, like yep. you don't understand, you don't see it. You don't, how can you not see it? It's so clear, you know, if you've ever been yep. so frustrated with something that seems so obvious to you and is lost on others, it can be, a, oh, it totally. can be, that can be maddening. Um, yeah,
1: that's great insight, Max. That's a that's a great point. Like I, I, I it's almost like a, you know, a, a parent who did everything for his children, and the, ch- the, you know, the child still has all these wild complaints about, you know, their parents. Um, I always joke when I, when I'm on the island of Coronado, um, and I see some angry looking teenagers. <laughs> uh, kind of walking around right i know you get this this is more of an inside joke i guess for for people who have been on the island but the whenever i see like angry teenagers walking around the island of coronado you know clearly in a rebellious state in their life i i always say to myself you know i hate you mom and dad you gave me everything right like they have nothing to complain about right their parents and maybe that's part of the problem is they they did give them everything but michael he he did prop he, he Tried to prop people up uh, in the way in the best way that he knew how, uh, and I think we're all. I ho- hopefully leaders out there are all doing that. They're trying to do it the best way they know how. Um, yeah, and there's so much to think about in that one scene, and that's why it struck me it's so hardcore.
2: There's a you were talking about. I remember this episode about presence, uh, and he's getting on a bus. I think is when they're talking yeah. about it, and uh, and. What I think about that, this is what I thought when I saw it. This is what I think about now. It took me a long time. Only in the last couple of years did I start understanding how to use a calendar. Uh, not technically, because I know we just talked about this. I still don't get it from a technological standpoint on how to use, like, shared calendars and stuff. I'm horrible. But as far as uh, using, a, using a calendar to block out my time with mm-hmm. people, which I never really understood. I, I never really was big on that. I'm like, okay, I'm doing something for at one. Uh, I'll yeah. just make sure I leave, like, two hours in case it goes long or whatever. And you know, if I have something else, I'll do that at three. Uh, you know, and then you, I'll flex on that. I'll do more. I'll do less, whatever, make more time, less time, but Mm -hmm. I'm I'm making, I'm using how much time I block out for something based on how much time I have. So if I have a lot of time, I'll block out a lot of time. If I have a little amount of time, I'll use a little bit amount of time. That's, that's Mm -hmm. fucking meaningless. Uh, (laughs) it's not like it's not like things are going to take as long as I have for them to take. And then should I make them take longer? Should I rush them, uh, Mm -hmm. based on how busy I am? But now I look at it like this, like let's say I have two hours that I need to talk to somebody. I'm like, Hey, I can talk for 15 minutes. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it's going to start and it's going to end in, in a 15 minute span. But in those 15 minutes, I'm a hundred percent committed to whatever we're talking about and it's going to be purposeful and we're going to get to the point, you know, and yep. that's how I use the calendar now. And I, and I didn't learn that from anywhere. I just kind of made that up. So maybe that, maybe that's totally, uh, makes no sense. But if I just use whatever time I have, you know, cause I have it, that's that's purposeless. But if I say, mm-hmm. Hey, in 15 minutes, we have to resolve this. Like, what are we talking about? Why are we talking? Uh, let's get to the point. If we need to talk more, let's figure out another time to talk, collect your thoughts. We'll talk again. Uh, and then that's it. And then that's how I'm using my calendar now. And it's the fr- it's the only time that using the calendar ever made sense to me was to use it that way. You know, mm-hmm. we used to have, you know, you'd have meetings at work, uh, yeah. for no reason. And they go on for two hours and everyone leaves and nobody does anything. Uh, yep. or can we sit down for five minutes with a good idea of what we're here to talk about and get it done? You know, That's does that right. make
1: any sense? That's right. Oh, hundred percent. Um, it took me a long time to understand that. And I learned it through, through hard working my way into successful people to have conversations with them and realize that in the beginning, I, I took offense to the directness and to the, I, I, I have 20 minutes, 15 minutes, and in some cases I have 10 minutes. Or in one case, I have eight minutes in front of an elevator. <laughs> um, so, like, that's a real story. Uh, someone that's very important and and amazing, and I I he's remarkable, and I admire him. So, uh, I I would take the eight minutes. But the um the the point is, you know, I had a recent call with a very successful nonprofiteer profiteer uh, who I admire. Uh, very young, twenty-six years old. Uh, but created an organization with a twenty to thirty million dollar uh, a year um, in operating budgets for a nonprofit, and so very successful. He's created quite a mission, uh, and I believe in it. So uh, when I got in touch with him because I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna raise some money for the organization later on this year, and uh, he said, "Hey, I, I have to I have to go in ten minutes. Um, I have another commitment." Um, and right there, I thought to myself. I wish I had the courage at 26 years old, starting the foundation to get on the phone with someone and say, I, uh, I only have 10 minutes because I have another commitment uh, to someone who wanted to raise money for my organization. Like I just, I didn't have the courage to do that. And I also hadn't come to the conclusion yet at 26 years old, the value of time, not my time. There's a big difference there. The value of time, not my time. And it took me a long time to understand that. And I started to actually kind of like frown or not frown and and not judge, but think long and hard um, when I would hear people say like, yeah, you know, I got on this call and man, uh, you know, three hours later uh, I thought to myself, my God, what an amazing thing to be able to just blow three hours like that. Like I, I don't have that. And it's not because I'm so, important has nets the it's the opposite it's i'm i'm trying to do important things and i know that to do that um i heard a crazy story yesterday uh from uh, an entre- a a very successful vc and he was talking about um in this panel that i was watching he he talked about this is about michael this is michael jordan this is about any person that is great uh, whose name we know and recognize for all that they've done, uh, they had a certain amount of obsession. They were obsessed. They, they, they were completely obsessed from the moment they opened their eyes to the moment they closed them. That he, he jokes that his this this VC, his claim to fame is that he was chauffeured by Steve Jobs uh, once and chauffeured by Bill Gates. And he was talking in this case in particular. Uh, I mean, this is an epic <laughs> VC. Uh, and and he was chauffeured around in the early days by both of those young entrepreneurs at the time. And um, he said he gets in the car with Bill Gates and the radio was pulled out of the car. And, you know, he goes, what, what happened to your radio? And he goes, well, straight face, dead serious. He goes, well, I, I thought that, you know, the radio, I'd find myself like, listening to it and not thinking about Microsoft. So I took it out of my car and I thought to myself, wow. I mean, that is a level of, and I've been there. I've been in a place in my life where I was so obsessed about an idea that I used to do things like that. Um, but anyways, I, I, that's how Michael was. And to me, that is the, um, there is a trait of obsessiveness to these greats, to the greats. Uh, and you know it when you see it, you know it when you come across it, there's something about the energy around those people. Like you said, you want to just grab onto their cape, right? It's, it's part of the reason why I wanted to get into venture in the first place.
2: I think, uh, obsessed is the right word. You, ha- you have to be right. You have to be obsessed. You uh, have to be. You, and, and the question you have to ask yourself is, uh, obsession is dangerous, right? If you're, obs- mm-hmm. if when you're obsessed, you'll do crazy things, right? You might, you might walk away from other things. You might walk away from friends and family, other commitments. Uh, mm-hmm. and you have to ask yourself, is that really what I want? Like if I, if I get what I want, my dream, would that make me happy? Mm-hmm. Cause then you, what you're left with is success in it, what originally was success in your mind. But you, you, you've been looking down at the, at the pad and paper for so long that when you look up what's changed around you, it's like in Orson, uh, the time machine, uh, HG Wells, right. right? HG Wells time machine. Uh, he gets in it and he sees his world dissolve around him. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's in, and he goes into the, into the, is the future, right. He goes into the future, uh, Mm. and, and everything's gone. And, but he did it, you know, he, he, he time traveled, uh, and his whole world disappeared around him while he was sitting there in a the time machine. So don't let your obsession be your time machine. I guess it, this this is what I think about, right? Like, is there mm-hmm. anything that I am so committed to where I have that obsession? Where if if other things in my life started to disappear, would that be worth it? Uh, that's the way I look at it. And and I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm not I'm not here to tell you what to think about that. It just maybe just think about it and uh, and decide if you were in that time machine and your world dissolves around you, would you be happy that you were in that time machine?
1: That's right. Yeah, so. that's right. Um, again, Max, I could have a dozen of these conversations with you every single week, man. And, and I love watching the rise of Scuttlebutt and watching people enjoy it and getting texts from people uh, who love listening to you. And, and you're just doing a great job, man. You're bringing something special to the world. So I, I thank you for doing that.
2: Thanks, Joe. Uh, maybe this is part one of this uh, Last Dance series. We can do I hope part so, man. Two. There's
1: plenty more episodes and deep things to talk about. Um, yeah,
2: you know, you know what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'm gonna go through and I'm gonna pull some clips from the show. Uh, if you have any clips that, if you want to send me, uh, just text me. Like, if you know some that you like, I'll well, pull some clips and I'll have some clips uh, queued up for next time. And uh, you got it. I'll, I'll make I'll make them on the on the Zoom here, and uh, and then we'll go from there.
1: Love it. All right, brother. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate it.
2: All right, go spend some time with your family.
1: That's right, man. I'll talk to you in a bit. All right, Bye-bye. John. Bye.
2: Hey, do my outros suck? I'm not sure. I don't know how to sign out of these podcasts. It's something I'm working on. Hey, I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to that episode. It was really fun to do. I hope that you enjoyed it also. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so you can listen to all the other episodes. There's tons more episodes already available and more coming every week. If you haven't gotten over to YouTube and subscribed over there, please go ahead and do that. It would uh, mean a lot to me if you did. There's all these podcasts are available on YouTube as well as a bunch of other content that you wouldn't find here in the podcast. If you're looking for ways to support the show, you can head over to anchor.com, subscribe there, and you can do monthly contributions if you choose to. If you'd like to see this program grow and support, then uh, that would mean the world to me. I, I just I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, re- feel free to reach out to me anytime via our social media or email, all at the scuttlebutt show, emails at the scuttlebutt show at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to you guys very soon. And let's go ahead and listen to another episode. All right. Bye.